Gets a blowout with him in 10 3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out a real pitch. He swings, and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge backflip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into Flippin' Bats. I am your host, Ben Verlander. We have a great episode for you today. I'm going to go over my storylines of the week. Our special guest, Royce Lewis, joins me. Uh, my favorite part of the show where you guys get to be a part of it. We got the hotline and, of course, my six-tool player of the week all coming at you. Uh, let's get started with some storylines from this past week. And I'm going to start with the Dodgers home opener, the World Series champs. They got their ring, finally, long-awaited World Series champions. Um, I actually got to be in attendance. Uh, I did a live takeover for the MLB on Fox Instagram. Man, it was such a cool experience uh, to be able to see Clayton Kershaw get his ring, to walk around the stadium interviewing people. You know, it ended up being a little different than I thought. I was expecting, like, obviously people were super excited, but it was almost like, um, like relief. You know, I went around interviewing some people. One in particular was this little girl I interviewed, and she was super excited and so cute. And then I talked to her dad, and he literally just let out a big sigh of relief and said, finally, man. And there was like raw emotion. So it was literally like this sense of relief. Uh, but finally, Clayton Kershaw gets his ring. Bellinger gets his ring. The city of Los Angeles gets their much-awaited, well-deserved ring. So uh, kudos to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it was so cool to be in there. Uh, and the next is Joe Musgrove. No hitter for the San Diego Padres. Um, I actually know Joe pretty well. We played against each other coming up through the minor leagues, uh, and then he was with the Astros for a while where I got to meet his, uh, I got pretty close with his mom and dad. I know them really well. Joe Musgrove threw a no-hitter for the team that he grew up rooting for in the city of San Diego. A really, really awesome story. I was so proud of him. And, and one thing that I wanted to mention with this no-hitter, I actually tweeted about this. Catchers, do not get the credit they deserve for no-hitters. And, and you could see it in the catcher when he was running out to the mound, um, just the raw emotion between him and Joe. It's the two of them. Um, and the raw emotion between those two was a really awesome moment, and I'm so happy for Joe and, and the city of San Diego. And the Padres finally got their no-hitter, so they are no longer uh, no-hitter-less, if you will. Um, another storyline that happened, Tim LaCastro, the Arizona Diamondbacks, stole his 28th base without getting caught. Now, a really cool thing about this is after the game, he, he got to keep the base. After the game, he walked out with the base and walked up to his mom and had the base for her and, and took a picture. Um, also, just really cool. Uh, another side note, though, is that the, his manager has notably called him the fastest player of all time many times, and, and I'm starting to agree with that. I mean, 28 bases in a row is incredible. I, I, I stole, you know, runners typically steal over 50% over of bases, but to, to not get thrown out in this day and age where catchers just have rockets for arms is insane. So 28 of 28 to start his career, Tim LaCastro, definitely one of the big storylines from this week. On to the Cincinnati Reds, quickly becoming one of my favorite teams in all of baseball. The Cincinnati Reds embody 
what this show is about. Amir Garrett on the mound at the end of games was quoted as calling them the showboating, bat-flipping, son of guns. That's who they are, and they know it. They're swaggy, they play the game hard, and they are winning baseball games. Nobody had them winning this division coming into the season. And I'm not saying they're going to win the division. It's super early. What, we're, t we're ten, 10 games in? Not even. But they won six in a row at one point this week. They're beating everybody. They're playing with swag. They're getting up and yelling at pitchers right in their face. They're just fun to watch. So if you do not watch the Cincinnati Reds, I highly suggest getting on that bandwagon because they are fun. They play with energy. They play with passion. They flip bats. And that is what this show is all about. We love them. If you love this show, you'd love the Reds. Got to watch them as well. And then I want to talk about the Mets. The New York Mets. So if you were not watching the game, I'll tell you a little bit about what happened in uh, their walk-off win against the Marlins earlier this week. Michael Conforto is at the plate with the bases loaded and one out in the, uh, in the ninth inning, I believe. Ninth or tenth. It was, and it was a walk-off. So at the end of the game, he was up, bases loaded. Michael Conforto has been struggling at the plate, struggling pretty badly. He comes up in this situation, uh, two, uh, two strikes on him, and he ends up kind of leaning into a pitch. Umpire goes to call it a strike. It's in the strike zone. It's in the strike zone. Umpire goes to call it a strike, realizes he got hit, got hit and goes, time, time, batter gets his base, Mets win. But hold up. Everybody's pissed off. Don Mattingly comes running out. Wait a second. He was hit on a pitch in the strike zone. You can't do that. You can't lean into it. He's right. You cannot lean into it. So they go to review. They're there for five seconds, and they're told, uh, yeah, you can't review this call. What? What? It's clear as day. Everybody in the world saw it. How do you just say, yeah, you can't, you can't review this? What does that even mean, you can't? The whole point of review is to get the call on the field correct. And if everybody in the world knows what the correct call is, then just make it happen. There's a huge flaw in the replay system, and I'm sure a lot of you saw what happened Sunday night in the uh, Braves and Phillies game, and we're going to talk about that later and talk even more so about replay because what happened cannot happen, and the game certainly should not have ended like that. Whew. All right. Now, let's transition into, uh, let me welcome our guest in. I'm super excited to be joined by our guest, Royce Lewis, first overall pick by the Minnesota Twins. Uh, he unfortunately is out for the year, but what a story, and I'm excited to be joined now by Royce Lewis. Royce, what is up, man? Thanks for joining me on Flipping Bats. What's going on? I appreciate much, it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Of course, man. Happy to have you. So, so one thing I like to ask everybody, because baseball is very unique in the fact that everyone goes through the minor leagues, no matter whether you're first overall pick like yourself or the last pick in the draft, everybody goes through the minor league experience. What would you say is one thing you've learned so far or picked up that you will take with you uh, throughout your entire career in the minor leagues? Yeah, I think just leaning on my teammates and, and learning from all those coaches, uh, I think that was the best part about the game is that I get to, you know, be a part of that, that team aspect and have a great time playing the game and learning from some of the game's best, man. It's, it's always truly amazing. One thing that I find so unique is that I, 
it's so different, the disparity in the minor leagues. You have some guys earning huge paychecks that have gotten paid and some guys that have not, to say the least. What do you, would you say a lot of guys come to you, like asking you to pay for stuff? Like, Joe, do you get joked around with a lot? Like, dude, come on, come on, pay for this. <laughs> no, not too much anymore. I used to. My first year when I got drafted, it was, um, hey, we're going to dinner. What should we buy him, right? Uh, I was like, no, nah. <laughs> you know, I was like, all that money's invested, man. I don't think you realize it. I'm on the same text you guys are. Uh, so it's one of those things where it's like it took a little bit of time for people to get used to me and, and joke around and mess around. But uh, at the end of the day, it's just messing around, hanging out with the boys, and they're just giving you crap for it. Smart, man. Smart. All that money's gone. That's, that's invested. That shit's gone. You're worrying about the future. So what would you say um, – do you get do you get like hazed a lot? So I know you, now you're around the the big league guys a little more, and being the first overall pick obviously comes with some you know some hazing. Is there anybody that picks on you at all in big league camp? No, not too much, man. I'm I'm blessed. You know we got some really good veteran guys and a great young core as well that's already up there and dominating. And uh, it's just like I said, it's just fun to pick their brains and learn from them, but. Uh, no hazing going on. Right? Just just a lot of swinging and a lot of homers up there. That's good, man. You got to make sure you stay on their good side. Because I remember I was in one year in spring training. And obviously, my brother's on the big league side. And I'm on the minor league side. But every once in a while, I would sneak over to, to the big league side to eat. Because the food in the minor league cafeteria isn't the same. So everyone, And I, I know all those guys. So I'm like, you know what? I'll just sneak over there. I'll get some of the big league food. <laughs> Apparently. I found out my brother came home that night and goes, were you eating in the big league locker room? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, you're lucky you had somebody come and vouch for you and say, um, I, I actually believe it was Mr. Al Kaline came and said he asked me to come wow. over. But my brother said the, the guys on the team found out in their, in their morning meetings, they, they all got together and said, dude, Ben's eating in our locker room. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a locker smack dab in the middle of the entire locker room and bring out a table and make him eat his meal right in the middle of us while we're all just like giving him shit and throwing stuff at him. Thankfully, that didn't happen, but <laughs> I learned my lesson quickly to always eat on the minor league side where I'm supposed to be eating. <laughs> That's right. That's hilarious, man. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you were a f uh, first overall pick, which you know can come with a lot of pressure. Is there anybody you reach out to? Um, I know Buxton was a second overall pick. Is there anybody you kind of lean on to to gain some experience from them? Yeah, just uh, my agency, uh, my agency, my family, and then some of my friends. You know, it's just keeping that circle close and small. Uh, you know, they do and mean a lot to me. Uh, it's just almost everything. I, whether I call my mom and dad uh, each and every day and they help me, or sometimes I'll just call my agency and Scott Boris and just talk to him because he's had multiple clients that have been number one overall picks. And how did, how did they react to things? How did they go about this? How did they go about that? And so um, just learning the ins and outs of the game and trying to be professional all throughout. Yeah, I would say Boris has some experience with, with some guys that are that are top picks, that's for sure. But it's got to be nice to to have somebody like that to lean on, you know, to have um, the Boris agency. They have had a lot of top guys, so that's a great point. I would have thought maybe there's a there's a, a player, but your agency has had more experience with with first overall players than than one guy can have, you know. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, even last year we got Torkelson. Um, you know, I know Bryce Harper is probably one of the biggest ones they've had. So uh, they've had quite a few over the years and not even just being one, just in the top top picks, like you mentioned, second, third, fourth, fifth, and so on. Um, you know, it all comes with some pressure here and there and just learning how to, you know, diverse your way through that, get through that um, always helps. Who in the organization has had the, the biggest impact on you so far? Man, that's a great question. There's a lot of coaches, a lot of teammates, a lot of players. Uh, I think I can pick from each kind of standpoint. I think from a base running point and a fielding standpoint, you know, I'd say Sammy Palazzo. Uh, Sam Palazzo is just I just call him Sammy, man. He's my man. And so he he obviously is not with the Twins anymore. But uh, when he was, he made the biggest impact on my defense. Um, I'd say Buxton helped in center field too as well when I was going down to the fall league. Um, but I guess the main, the very main person would be Torrey Hunter. Um, he got me to move out to Texas. He's really mentored me and been like a second father to me. So uh, Torrey's been the number one in an all-exclusive standpoint. That's awesome, man. So I actually got to, to know Torrey pretty well from his days in the Tigers organization. Um, and he, he really helped me a lot in, in the outfield, just being able to pick a guy's brain like that. And, and to be so close to him, I know, um, you know, you're an Orange County native um, and your, your dad was able to, to create a relationship with him. So to have that with a guy, you know, it's easy to forget, like, that's Torrey Hunter, you know, like he's one of the greatest defensive outfielders of all time. To be able to, to have him as like a mentor has to be incredible. Like, that's so cool to me. It's Torrey Hunter. Yeah. I, yeah. You're telling me, I mean, these are guys that I idolized when I was growing up and I used to wear 48. I still got 48 in some of my passwords. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, he, he definitely uh, was a, one of my idols for baseball. And um, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you how much it means to me that we built this relationship and I'm able to learn so much that I am uh, off of him and his family. Is there a piece of outfield advice that he's given you? Like, I know he's done a ton for you off the field and just been there for you to talk to is there like a piece of advice uh from an outfielding standpoint that he's been like hey man you need to work on this let's do this you know not too much I've, I've been focusing on shortstop for five years now but when I did go out to the fall league he just mentioned that you know if you get close to that wall just just remember that you can you can always save your body man don't don't get hurt so <laughs> so he gave me some tips on that and gonna roll with the wall type deal and um sure enough first play i got was right into the wall so it was pretty funny so i started laughing just thinking about it because um, <laughs> he did tell me um so i mentioned your dad your dad is a somalia that's right so i i assume you're a big wino correct huge huge i'm getting into it now you're speaking you're speaking my language man i i love wine now i'm not going to claim to know as much as you are obviously your dad but i i love me some wine um what what what's your favorite are you red are you red guy yeah red red's very good i mean for me to start most starters like beginners going into wine white's always easier because it's a little bit softer um so you know mark neal the neal winery the pinot uh is that's a that's a great one as well red so there, i mean there's just i can't pick just one i i think i love both and i think it's just because of my father so 
uh, you know, we're learning each and every day and we're getting some wine classes in during the spring. So uh, I'm very excited. <laughs> I love that. You know what I also love? So as I was preparing for this, I found your YouTube channel. Okay. <laughs> and your yeah. very first, the very first thing you posted on YouTube is <laughs> this like incredible, it looks like it'd be like a five-star review, like TV show. It's so cool. I, <laughs> do you remember this video? It was probably a little while ago now, but it's like you going around like reviewing this like restaurant. I, I loved it. I was laughing my ass off throughout it. I thought it was great. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I did. I, I thought it was great as well. I just wanted to help promote the winery out there in California and just, uh, you know, I had a nice meal in there. So at the same time, I got that in. <laughs> Is there any, uh, any, any, any expansion on that? You know what I, you know what I could envision is that becoming like a series. Like nobody would expect that. It's like Royce Lewis, the number one pick in the draft, baseball player. Oh my God, he's got a YouTube. Let me go see what it is. And boom, it's you like, like evaluating wines, like evaluating restaurants. I think you could turn that into a series. That could be sick. We're definitely going to turn it into something. Uh, I think we ran into some bumps here with the COVID and. Uh, not having season, wondering when the season was going to happen, and then yeah. me recently tearing my ACL. Um, all those factors combined, it's kind of hard to, I mean, even walk around nowadays. So uh, how am I going to video and get some footage in? But, um, you know, my main focus was also to make it to the big leagues and how am I going to be a big leaguer first? Uh, and then we'll get to the the cool, fun stuff off the field there love in terms that. of the film. I love that. Um, so, so you were drafted in 2017 in a draft class with Hunter Green, Joe Adele, yourself. How do you think that is important for young black kids growing up, not having as much representation in the MLB, to be able to see this draft class and the, the stars that are upcoming, to be able to have black guys that they can look up to and say, you know what, like I can do it in this sport. Is, is that something you've thought about or something that means a lot to you? You know, in the recent years, it's, it's started to come along to me. I haven't really thought about it. I've never, you know, thought about black, white, never been indifferent on any kind of race. Um, it's just me living my life and playing baseball and having fun doing it. And I think that, uh, you know, it, it's important, I think, to have all races get involved and to play the game that I love more. Um, I'd love to spread the love. You know, it's one of those things that I love it so much. It's like, how can I pass this on to this community, that community, that community? And uh, the Players Alliance is a great organization that, uh, you know, hopefully soon I'll be a part of. I've been volunteering with them uh, in the offseason, passing out some food and some some bats and balls and gloves uh, to the community out there in Dallas. And so, um, you know, that event was cool for me to be at. And uh, one of those things where we're, we're starting to move on in terms of that. I love that, man. So you, I, I saw an interview, you recently said, and I quote, my body is a beast. <laughs> I want to know what is the most beast thing that you've done what whatever it may be hit me yeah there's a few stories out there for sure uh i think one of my my uh my grandparents favorite is i used to uh i used to want to run track and mm -hmm. kind of play football basketball all of them uh and baseball but during baseball season obviously you can't run track so um i was finished practice early i was wearing jeans i got changed got my clothes on i wearing jeans and uh, i saw one of my friends out on the track and so I went over there to say hi what's up and the coach was like hey you want to race him and I was like yeah like of course so I, I was in jeans and uh 
took off my shoes. I just wore socks and I, I raced this guy in the hundred, hundred yard, hundred yard dash was like hundred meter, whatever. And, uh, I beat him out and he was supposed to be the fastest guy on the team. And they're like, Hey, you want to do the four by four? And I said, I can't, I got, baseball. <laughs> um, that was one of the stories, man. It's just something small, quick for you. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of little things that people just shocked by. I started walking after my surgery and people were like, are you supposed to be walking right now after your ACL? I was like, I don't feel anything. So yeah, I guess. <laughs> So you're telling me in, in jeans, the best part of it is the socks, I think. You went out there in socks and beat the fastest guy on the team. That's incredible. <laughs> it's one of those things, man, just having fun. Um, so in, in 2019, you were invited to the Arizona Fall League. Um, take me through that experience a little bit. I know um, your 2019, your full season, I, I probably didn't go as planned. Um, but I would assume the 2019 fall league season, you won MVP of the league. T take me through that experience. Did you, did you learn some stuff? For sure. For sure. I, I really learned how to be a professional. Um, you know, just going in and out every day to the field, making sure you get your routine in, be on time. Uh, game days change. So sometimes they're 12, sometimes they're seven. How do you prepare for those? Um, how to eat right. How to, uh, you know, get your body ready for the next day after games, whether it's a workout or prehab stuff in terms of getting in the contrast, hot and cold tubs, um, laying upside down on one of those up machines. I forget what they're called, like a teeter Those things are great. Thing. I love those things. I love those. <laughs> I love those. It's great on the back too. I love it. But um, yeah, I think I just really learned how to be professional. And obviously things went great out there stats wise. So um, that always helps, right? It puts you in a better frame of mind. But uh, no, I had a lot of fun out there and I love Arizona. It's a great place to play. So 2019 was the year that they experimented with the the uh, automated strike zone out there. Did you <laughs> thoughts? <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> what did you think? I mean, for me, um, you know, I, I saw positives and negatives. It was uh, one of those things where it was a good test. I thought to to see what they had in the strike zone there, but there was definitely some some calls that were. Curveballs bouncing in the dirt, uh, hitters getting ready out of the box because it's a little bit of a delay before a call to strike. And so hitters getting out of the box, like, all right, perfect. I just took a good pitch there. I'm ready, right? And they strike him out, and he and he gets pissed off. And I'm on defense, and I'm shocked. I'm like, that was a strike. Like, I got to be ready for that when I go up to hit? Like, how am I going to hit that? So um, there was some times where it was like, ooh, I don't know if I like this or, or not. But then there was times where you took that outside corner pitch, and you knew that was the black. That was it right there. So um, there's pros and cons, you know, it's one of those things we'll see where it goes in the game. See, that's, that's kind of where I, I stand on it. I really do feel like we're working towards it. I, I think it's going to be part of baseball. Um, but watching that fall league, it's obvious that it's not ready yet. It's not where it needs to be. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I saw, like you said, I saw plenty of guys taking curveballs in the dirt and it getting called strikes and looking at the umpire and the umpire's like, it's, it's not me. <laughs> There's nothing <laughs> yes, I can I do. do. <laughs> Is it, um, so was the umpire calling strikes initially? Did they have any say in balls or strikes or was it, or were they just waiting for that sound to, to say ball or strike? Yeah. So I'm not sure if it said like strike or ball in their earpiece or not, but uh, they were calling strikes and balls whenever it did have an, a malfunction. Um, so they did have to lock in. Um, and I think sometimes they were purposely making it have a malfunction so that they would see if A, is he actually paying attention to the game 
uh, what's going on here? Because I did ask a couple times, hey, where do you have that? And he said, it's a strike. <laughs> I couldn't tell you if it was two balls off. He said, in my opinion, too close to take next time. And I was like, hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Because that's, that's all you can give me is his opinion on, hey, next time that's too close to take, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was definitely tough to have that. You know, that's the one thing you'll miss if you don't have – if you have the automated strike zone is the interaction you have with the umpire. It's like, hey, is that, what, is that the corner you have today? I'm like, yes, sir, that's what I got. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Like, that's usually what I ask, and um, that's about all I'll say other than, hey, how's your day going? Hope we have a good one. Let's have fun today. Uh, but, yeah, I just – I miss those interactions with them, so it'll be kind of weird when they're just strike. Well, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. You know, it also won't be there though. Is asking an umpire, "Hey, is that the corner?" And they'll say yes. And then the next pitch is a half a ball further than that, and it's a strike. And it's like, okay, like where, where, <laughs> where, where's the corner then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Um, all right. So speaking of, you know, that rule change, and there's some other rule changes coming to minor league baseball this year. Just kind of experimenting with them. If you were commissioner for the day and the goal was to grow major league baseball to grow the sport for 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 the fans what is one unwritten rule that you would that you would change man the unwritten rule man i think it's it's always uncomfortable when you're when you have a big lead to kind of stop putting your foot on the gas i think you, you should always play hard in this game um i do agree with like you know, don't run up to score just because you can, but there's also a way like, I mean, Tatis swinging at a 3-0 fastball, by the way, it was a great 3-0 pitch. It wasn't right down the middle. He swung, it was a great swing. That might've been his best home run all year. Uh, as a fan, it's cool to see him do that. Um, I mean, understandable as the pitcher, it's like 3-0, bases loaded type deal. I understand that whole situation I do from both sides, but as a fan of baseball, I think it's cool to watch people do their thing and ball out. And uh, so some of those rules, maybe Tatis is starting to change. I don't know if they're going that way, but um, that's maybe the unwritten rules I'd like to change. Exactly, man. I, I totally agree with you. What about, um, is there anything with these these new rules? Uh, what rule would you change that, that's currently in place? Is, is there anything you would change? Like an, not an unwritten rule, an actual rule. Is there anything? Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the shift. I mean, obviously I'll do it and I know it works. So the analytics are all behind it for sure. The numbers are there, but um, I think it just takes away people's athleticism. I'm on board with kind of what Lindor has been saying recently on it, where it's like, you know, I'm a shortstop. People come out here to see me play the game and, yeah. and do some cool plays, not necessarily stand in one spot, see the ground ball hit right at them and then make a good throw. Um, it's pretty much like you're a robot out there nowadays almost, but um, you know, it's just the best way to stay around that and, and stay on your toes is just to be, um, you know, aggressive and ready and anticipate. That's the big word we use here in the swim organization is the anticipation. Um, you know, as long as you're anticipating, you're going to get those plays eventually. You know, it's kind of, you, you mentioned Lindor and what he said the other day, and that kind of changed my perspective a little bit on it. Um, you know, I was all for, you know, I don't, I don't love the shift, but it's kind of like, you know, if the scouting report says this guy's going to hit it there 90% of the time, who, why, why are you telling me where I can put my defenders? But then hearing mm -hmm. Lindor say that, I started looking at it from a fan's perspective and a player perspective. And like, if I'm watching a game, I don't want Lindor standing in this spot and okay, you need to cover this 10 feet now. I want him as shortstop and able to make those sick ass plays that we know he's going to be able to make 
around the diamond. So what you just said, his quote, kind of changed my perspective on it a little bit. So I, I agree with you. I really do. Um, so in 2020, you were at the alternate site coming off of a, an, a, a down and then up 2019 year almost. What is, um, how, how was that year for you? I know it, it, 2020 for, for everybody was so strange. And, and with baseball, you weren't able to, to play in a season, but you were at the alternate site. Were you able to, to yeah. learn or, or grow there? What happened there? For sure. I, I learned and grew a lot. Anytime I'm on a baseball diamond, man, I feel like I'm always constantly learning and uh, adjusting my game to just whatever level I'm at. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I have that mindset of how can I get better today, um, which has helped me through my injury now and has helped me through my whole life and to get to where I am. And so I think just uh, being out there and being around those guys, I mean, we have great talent in our organization, man. I mean, you're talking Alex Kirloff, uh, you know, Xander Wheel, Trevor Lonick. A uh, bunch of studs, man. I can go, a list goes on and on for sure. But all those studs, uh, you know, we're balling out. And it was fun to just kind of have a competition of like, hey, man, who's going to out hit us today? You know, it's like one of those things. And um, I always wanted to go out there and prove that I was the best player that I could be on the field. And um, I took that quote from Donaldson a long time ago. He says, I don't care if I'm an MVP, but in my mind, I'm an MVP each and every day whenever I step on that field. Uh, it doesn't matter who I'm playing against. It could be Mike Trout, who was the MVP that year, or or him or you know another player and he's just like I'm the best player on the field doesn't matter who and I've taken that mindset to heart man it's just it's just facts and it's one of those things that's going to make you better um so you mentioned uh you mentioned an, an injury Th this year this 2020 season was I I was pumped for you man I was expecting a huge year I know you you were yourself and and you tore your ACL uh in in February Take me, take me through, take me through that. Uh, first off, how are you feeling right now? Feeling good, man. It's it's pretty insane to think that I'm hurt. You know, it's a little stiff. I don't have a ton of mobility yet, so I'm still on the crutches. But uh, I feel great. I've been going through rehab. I walked 30 minutes on the treadmill underwater uh, two days ago now, and I've been lifting upper body almost every other day. So, man, You're I'm gonna be I'm, jacked, just, my man. You're gonna, gonna come back jacked. Back. That's right, DK Metcalf, a little stacked up. <laughs> so I, I personally uh, never, never experienced a, an ACL tear or anything like that. Thankfully, so you take me through that day it happened. Like how how bad? Like did you hear a pop? What happened? Yeah, that's the craziest part about it is uh, from all the ACL tears that I've seen on the you know Sports Center. Uh, MLB Network, here and there, hearing things, just you hear something and you clearly know you did something wrong with your knee, uh, whether it's an ACL, MCL, PCL, whatever. Um, for me, I was doing some 5-10-5 drills, um, you know, which is a, typically a football drill, but it's one of those things that was in my regimen to get ready for the season. I was feeling great um, going through those in faster times than normal. And I went one direction, my knee went the other. And that's pretty much how it happened. And it just it went very, very far inward. And when I, when I did that, I knew to stop the drill. So my workout was done, but it did, I didn't know it was to the extent of a tear of an ACL tear. I just knew that I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe that was just a hyperextension bone bruise. I, I went home, I drove home, iced it. Um, next day, I also did compression with the compression sleeves on the legs. Uh, the next day woke up swelling was almost completely gone it was just very little minimal swelling and I thought oh perfect this is 
normally what I do. I hyperextend. I'm very kind of Bambi-ish. I'm long and limber, but I always kind of fall sometimes like that. And so I was like, I'm good. I'll be fine. Um, and then we get we get to here, out here in uh, Florida now for spring. And uh, the day before our physicals, I ran two miles uh, just jogging. And then I ran six sprints. And I did steel start sprints. And they told me like ACLs, you, you, when you tear them, it's lateral movements you can't do. And I said, well, I need a second opinion because I just did lateral sprints yesterday. And they said, what? And I, they were like, yeah. And so, <laughs> so they were like, okay, well, so we got the second opinion and everything. And it was a full complete tear of the ACL. So obviously I needed to go get surgery, but the way that all this stuff happened, man, I had no idea. I was in complete shock. Um, one of those things were just, that's why I say my body's a beast. Cause I had no idea. <laughs> Clearly my body was just helping me out and overcoming that maybe adrenaline I had, but it was a week and a half, two weeks span that I was going through this. So I had no idea. It was crazy. That is insane to me that you tore your ACL and were still able to do all that. You had no idea. You were still running sprints. You were still faster than 99.9% of everybody <laughs> you had no idea and you got a second opinion it's a torn acl and you need surgery it's like oh my god dude your body is a beast <laughs> yeah you got to take advantage of it man it's just fun and uh now i'm at a point where it's like i've always been there but now i'm at an extremely high point of how can i stay healthy and be on the field so that that beast can be unleashed on the field is there anybody in the organization that that has experienced this and gone through this that you're leaning on yeah, in the organization, you know, Luis Arias, our second baseman, third baseman, shortstop, pretty much our utility guy yeah. right now. He's dominating, uh, simply can rake. Um, but, you know, he went through the same process through the Twins and did the same stuff I'm doing. And um, he's come out so much better. So it's one of those things where I was able to lean on him, but also uh, Kyle Lewis. I reached out to Kyle Lewis, who won the Rookie of the Year. And, yeah. uh, man, he gave me a lot of tips and pros and cons and things that he would do, not do, do differently. and so it's just, it's been great, man. All these people helped me out. I really appreciate it. When you, so you reached out to Kyle. Did you, did you know Kyle or is it just kind of, all right, we're, we're both, we're, he, he, he was obviously rookie of the year for the, for the Mariners, but did you know him prior or was it like, all right, you did the same thing. Let me, let me see if I can reach out to him. Yeah, it was just, as you said, I didn't know him prior. I just reached out uh, through Instagram actually, which, you know, thankfully for social media, there is some pros to social media nowadays. Uh, <laughs> I reached out to him and said, Hey man, I told him about my injury. What happened? Um, I heard that he went through the same process and I know that where he's at now, he's gotten a lot better and he's much more successful. And I wanted to know how can I get to that point like him? And, uh, if he had time, uh, reach back to me, I gave him my cell phone number and he reached back to me that same night. So I really appreciated him. And, um, man, it's going to be one of my brothers for life now, man. Just can't wait to meet him in person and play against him one day. That's sick, man. That's a really cool story. So what is, 2021 gonna look like for you just day in day out just grinding it at rehab are you staying in uh fort myers or are you gonna stay down there yeah that's the plan going forward is just stay in fort myers and continue my work out here and just work hard each and every day on my knee and rehab that guy and continue to also hit and field and throw and do all the things necessary when i have when that time comes and so um it's coming pretty soon actually i'll be able to do some seated t drills and and seated throws with the plyo balls and some baseball drills. Uh, it'll be fun. So it, it's going to be a very creative uh, rehab process. But at the same time, uh, you know, as, as long as we can keep his knee safe and healthy, 
uh, for next spring and, you know, hopefully uh, get ready for the season to come there. You know, you mentioned just the, the seated drills and it can seem like it's, it's not much, but I just, um, you know, my brother's going through Tommy John surgery and the other day was his first, you know, he posted his first throw back. And I know he was so pumped up for it. He was talking to me the day before, like, I get to throw tomorrow. I get to throw. And it is so cool to me. Like, it's something so small, but something so cool. It just shows you you're back on the right track, man. And, and I, get to, I get to start doing, slowly but surely, the thing I love to do. So I'm sure you can't wait for that first day, even if you're just sitting on, the, sitting on a bucket swinging a baseball bat, man. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to be so cool. It will. It will. I can't wait. Um, so... We talked about 2021, what we can expect this year. Tell me about 2022. What can we expect from Royce Lewis in 2022? Man, I mean, I tell you what I can expect is just a beast. Like I said, it's just going to be, I'm going to be the best shape of my life. Um, mentally, I'll be in a better state of mind. I'll be ultra, ultra positive as if I wasn't positive before. It's not going to be even times two or three of that. Um, just knowing and not taking anything for granted, you know, knowing that this game could be taken away from you like that, um, like it was for me this year. So just not taking things for granted, going out there, balling out. And, um, you know, my goal is to, to compete for that starting shortstop position in 2022. I mean, right now, Anderson Simmons, our shortstop, but he's on a one-year deal. Um, and for me, looking at things, it looks like this, the spot is open for a competition and I'd love to compete and just have that opportunity because I think I can really, uh, you know, help the team out. And I'd love to be a piece of that team that uh, gets the World Series soon. Love that. And so before I let you go, we have these questions that we ask everybody. Some recurring questions I want to ask you, okay? What right. was your, like, welcome to the, to the major league moment? I know you haven't made your debut yet, but like, uh, you know, being around the big league guys, what was that moment like, oh man, welcome to the big leagues moment? I think, you know, watching Nelson Cruz uh, was my welcome to the big leagues kind of moment. Um, that guy will make everybody look weak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's my, my, my guy that I just, I watch him hit BP and the balls are getting launched to uh, places I'll never be able to hit the ball. Uh, maybe <laughs> if I hit a golf club, I don't know, a golf ball, but uh, no, he just absolutely insane power. And um, I remember one game he said like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to sit on the slider. But if he throws a fastball, I'm going to hit it really far. And I was like, okay, yeah. And then he went up there and he said, this is the at-bat. I think this is the at-bat. Goes up there and hits a homer. Like, nobody's business. Like, it was just easy thing. And I'm like, you know, that's a hard thing to do. <laughs> like, this guy just hits a homer. I'm like, yeah, that's probably – this is the big leagues. This is when it's the big leagues. These guys know what they're doing. They know how to control and handle their stuff. So, it's pretty impressive. Wait, so he said he's going to sit on the slider. But if he gets a yeah. fastball, he's going to hit it out. I – I guess that's why. Uh, how? <laughs> yeah. I, his thinking on it, which I think I'm going to start really thinking about it. I think it's a really great idea is, you know, if you're expecting the fastball, we can all hit fastballs. So when you get to the big leagues at that point, most of these guys can hit fastballs and hit it far. It uh, doesn't matter if it's Jose Altuve, smallest guy in the league, or Aaron Judge, you know. So um, fastballs are something that you just react and you hit the ball well. And he said that he has trouble with sliders, especially sliders away. Yeah. And so if he recognizes slider out of the hand, then he'll be able to take the pitches that are nasty or be able to hit the ones that are hanging earlier. And he said that the fastballs, you'll know 
if it's fastball, it's going to be looking different. So if you're looking for the slider, it's coming out like this. And all of a sudden, there's something straight. You're just going to react. If it's in the zone, you're going to hit it because you played baseball for, I mean, he's 40 years right. old now. So he's played baseball for, I'm sure, almost 40 years, <laughs> just as much as myself. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I think that term, terminology and way of thinking is, uh, it's almost outsmarting and kind of just yourself. You're outsmarting yourself in a way. And it's pretty impressive. It's deep. It is deep. It's so, it's making me like second guess my mindset my entire career. Like I wish I knew that. It makes so much sense. Yeah. You know, I myself as well struggle with a slider away. That was my biggest. That was you know that was my biggest struggle. It, it makes almost too much sense, but it is deep. And in your head, you're like, if if I get a fastball, that's what I've known my whole life. I'm going to be able to react and and turn on it, and you know my reaction is going to be like that. But if I if I look slider away in my head i can pick it up earlier i'm not sitting fastball because that's what i'm good with i'm sitting slider because it's not, it's not what i'm good with and i can react fastball wow come back yeah come back season <laughs> come back season that's right I, I you know i think everyone struggles with slider away uh for sure definitely and so it's one of those things where i'll i'll have to try it out when did he tell yeah, you that have you had it did you was this after the fall league or did you take that into the fall league that was this is the uh, 2020 spring training. We started talking more in depth. I, I really was like deep digging deep into like, yeah. how do you hit? You're like you're dominating right now. I don't know. I want to know how you hit. <laughs> and so he just he just simply broke down kind of just some basics to approach. And he said not all the like if he faces Garrett Cole, I don't think he's sitting slider on hundred because you can't or yeah. you can't. Yeah, it's certain guys that he's doing it with, like especially a lot of lefties. Um, he'll like, I'll sit the change up because that's this guy's best pitch. And then 92 is not that hard to react. To, exactly. Especially when he's seen it. And so he just, I was always wondering why, like there's a guy, we had a spring training game. Someone threw an EFIS to him. I think it was Devin Smelter was messing around through an EFIS of a curveball. It was like 68 miles an hour. And he sat on it and crushed a double off the wall. And I was just like, what do we do? What do we got? How does this guy <laughs> notice that pitch? Like, I was ready for it. And so it's just pretty funny to see him hit and just dominate. And he makes it look so easy. It's just impressive. All right, next question. What is your most memorable play on the field? <laughs> uh, I have to go back to high school. It's, uh, there was a foul ball hit in foul territory right behind third base, uh, down the third base line, in between that kind of triangle of short third and left. Mm -hmm. But it was foul. And... Uh, our high school field was redoing our bullpen at the time. So if you went in there, it was a two base error. If, even if you caught it, it didn't matter. Um, <laughs> and so I remember reaching, getting over there in time and the ball was still in the air. And I just looked at it and I was like, how am I going to catch this without going into the bullpen? And so I just stuck out my right hand and caught it barehanded. And that's, that's probably one of the coolest by far, the coolest play I've made um, to this day at the moment we'll see there's hopefully a lot more cooler plays to be made, but that, at this moment that's the best one dude you're 21 many more to come you're gonna you're gonna top that someday and it's gonna be in the big leagues but that's sick that's the old david wright reaching out with the bare hand and yep. making a grab um yep that's right what is a moment that stands out to you with teammates that has happened off of the field so not anything on the field something with teammates off the field yeah, we, we love to golf. So it's just the little competitions we have golfing. And uh, I remember golfing with uh, Kirloff, Larnick, uh, one of our clubbies, Matt Tramp, who's become one of my one of my bestest friends. 
and uh, Travis Blankenhorn, man. We had a great little little group there where we'd go golf, and uh, especially in 2020 during that season where we couldn't really do much else. So we either golf or we're at the baseball field or we're in our rooms playing video games. And <laughs> we got really good at the video games, so we decided to go out <laughs> the golf course and have a good time, um, which we need to get good at that first <laughs> before we start going again. But uh, we have fun doing that. That's awesome, man. Well, Royce, thank you so much for joining me, man. I'm so pumped to have you on. I'm so pumped for your comeback, dude. Um, I'm really, really excited for you. I'm excited for your next season. Thank you so much for joining me, and, and I would love to have you back sometime. This has been a blast, man. Thank you. Let's do it. I appreciate you having us on. Thank you. All right. I just wanted to thank Royce so much for joining me. Uh, really, really cool interview, but also one thing I really took away from that, as, you know, as I, I brought up towards the end there, is his conversations with, with Nelson Cruz. I think it's really amazing what Nelson Cruz is doing at, at the age he is. He's still destroys baseballs. He still rakes. Uh, so I wanted to kind of push him a little more on that to, to give me more. And, and I'm glad I did because what came about is a super cool, like inside look at the way Nelson Cruz thinks about hitting. Um, and not only that, what also came about is me now wanting to go back and try baseball again, because I feel like I could be a much better hitter after knowing that. But, but for real, the way he thinks about hitting is, is sort of mind-blowing to me. I, I never thought about that. I, I never thought that somebody would go up and sit on a slider and, and react to a fastball. And, and obviously, I know that happens. Like, I'm going to go up this at-bat and sit on a slider. That, that happens. There were plenty of at-bats where I would go up and say, I'm going to look for this pitch. But what I really haven't heard is a guy like him playing in the big leagues where guys are always throwing 95 to 100, intentionally knowing, I don't hit sliders well. I'm going to sit on it. And if he throws a fastball, that's what I've been doing my whole life. I'm just going to react to it. I'm just going to react and hit the fastball out. Other than that, I'm going to be waiting on this, on this slider or curveball. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. So, yeah, really cool part of the interview. Probably my, my favorite part. So I wanted to thank Royce uh, for joining us and, and uh, wish him a speedy, speedy recovery. Uh, but now for one of my favorite parts of the show, when you guys get to be a part of it. So make sure you're continuing to get those questions in. Leave us voicemails at 213-537-9339. Get your burning questions in, your hot takes. If something's pissing you off, call me. If something's making you proud of your team, call me. If you have any questions, call me. So that is what we have right now our voicemails from our fans. So, Rick, hit me with that first one. What's up, BV? This is your new friend, Devo. Really enjoying the podcast so far. Uh, ones like this, 12-6 with players or former players. You get to see the different side of the game. We go in farther than the, just the numbers. It's great. I love it. Uh, big Astros fan. First question, uh, Carlos Correa. Are we not going to ever resign any of our homegrown talent? Uh, they just let Springer Walk, they've got Correa. Are we going to spend any money? I know we've got two big contracts coming off books this year. Hopefully one of them resigns. Uh, big fan of that brother of yours. Leads me into the second question. What's it like growing up with that guy? I know he's a little bit older than you, but uh, are we going to high school games when you're young, watching this kid just dominate? What was that like? You got any uh, stories for that part of it? Thanks. 
All right, Devo, thank you for the questions. Thank you for calling. So your first question was about Carlos Correa and, you know, being homegrown talent of the Astros. Is he going to resign? Here's my thought. Um, I, I do think so. He is, you know, when you, when you think about the Astros, one, you know, Carlos Correa is one of those guys. To me, the names that jump out, Correa, Altuve, Bregman. Those are kind of the guys. I think Correa has to be one of those guys that gets re-signed. And I really think now they're regretting not doing it in the offseason because of um, Francisco Lindor signing for the deal that he did. I think uh, Correa's kind of sitting there now like, <laughs> I'm going to get absolutely paid. And he's right. He's right. He's going to get paid. Lindor kind of set, uh, set the bar. I'm not saying Correa is going to get the money Lindor did, but the market is now kind of set by that contract. So I, but I do think uh, they're going to re-sign Correa. Uh, now, the second question was about my brother and growing up watching him and, and you know, watching him in high school. Yeah, um, my brother is nine years older than me, so I grew up watching the game. That's kind of why I fell in love with the game of baseball is because I was always around it from a super young age. I was never pressured into baseball. It was never, well, your brother plays it, you might as well. I just fell in love with the game constantly watching him from the day I was born. Uh, so to be able to see him, you know, grow up and, and be at all of his games and then get to high school and actually dominate was really cool. But actually a funny story about him, his uh, senior year in high school, there was a game where he had a bunch of professional scouts showing up. Um, my brother never got drafted out of high school and he was still pretty, pretty dominant. So I, I'd say somebody that gets drafted second overall out of college typically has gotten drafted out of high school, but he never did. And I remember specifically there was a game that had um, a lot of professional scouts there. And my brother actually had the flu uh, when he was going to, to pitch that day. And he ended up pitching and was throwing like 80, 85 to 87 miles an hour. And everybody was like, no, see ya. And uh, then they never ended up drafting him. He ends up going on to Old Dominion. And uh, the rest is history. Had a pretty good a pretty good outcome, I would say. So, Devo, thank you for the question. Let's get to question number two. Hey there, Ben. This is Jake Mintz of Fox Sports. Uh, I was just wondering, uh, when you were playing baseball in the minor leagues, did you ever get to first base uh, and let out an absolutely righteous fart um, <laughs> and had to have an uncomfortable interaction with the first baseman? Just always very interested about what goes on over there at first. So if you can answer my question on the podcast, that would be great. Have a phenomenal, phenomenal day. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So first off, Jake, thank you so much for that uh, very in-depth, elaborate question. Appreciate that. Secondly, I love the interactions that go on at first base. I think, you know, it's something that not a lot of people really know about and understand, but you really do like create these these bonds with, with first baseman when you get over there. Um, you know, that's how you know, I got to know Reese Hoskins, who's a, a future guest on the show. Um, it, it, they're really cool interactions. Now, with that said, there are always things that, that go on that, you know, are like, what just happened? Like, what did you just say? Or blah, blah, blah. Um, so in, in terms of myself, I have not let out a, I think he said a righteous fart. I, have, I never did that on first base. However, it has happened when I am getting my lead on first base. And I remember specifically, I don't remember who it was, um, but I remember specifically like starting to get my lead 
and this dude just like lets one rip and I look over at him and he's like sorry dude tough day I'm like tough day I mean I get it <laughs> and it's just like these bonds that you create over whatever it may be struggling at the plate hitting well at the time how good the pitcher is farts a lot of cool bonds that happen there uh, on first base so Jake thank you so much for that question much much appreciated my friend all right number three Hey, Ben, JT, watching the uh, Braves game last night and uh, just wondering what's the point of having replay if they're going to get it wrong? Because we all know that Alec Baum's foot did not touch home plate and even he knows it didn't touch home plate. So let me know what you think. All right. So, yeah, for those of you that watched the Sunday night baseball game on Sunday night, you are probably aware of the call that happened, but for those of you that did not see it and have not heard what happened, um, there was a play in the, in the last inning that ended up being the winning run. There's a shallow fly ball to left field. Alec Baum runs home, uh, close play at the plate. He's called safe. Um, you know, it, it didn't look like the right or wrong call on the field. It's tough to tell in the moment, but it goes to replay. Uh, as it starts being showed, everyone says, okay, okay, he's out. The Braves are walking off the field. The fans in Atlanta are cheering. Braves literally are off the field. Replay continues, continues, continues. They call him safe. Ryan Snicker freaks out, comes running out. The Phillies even look surprised. Um, by all accounts in the replay, he was out. He never touched home plate was the problem. He beat the throw but he never touched home plate. And there, you know, the, the view that they kept showing, it was tough to tell, but there were a couple views in there that we got that made it obvious that he was out. So my thought there, JT, one, thank you for calling, is that, yeah, the wrong call was made, clearly. I think, you know, a lot of people are in agreement there. Here's the big issue for me, a much broader issue than that call right there. Replay. There's a big issue with replay, and I'm tired of it. How do you go to replay and get that call wrong? Here's the problem, and here's what we're always told. Well, you know, they're probably going to stick with the call on the field. And it's almost like, yeah, you know, there's an 80% chance he was out, but, uh, you know, because of that extra 20%, we're not sure. We're just going to stick with the call on the field. Why are we sticking with the call on the field? when umpires have proven over and over that they're not getting calls right all the time. Why are we giving them the benefit of the doubt that they got a call right? We're going to replay for a reason. The whole point of replay is to get the call right on the field. And it feels like they aren't doing that. They're sticking with the call. So I don't exactly know what the solution is. There needs to be a change. But you know, here, here would be my, my solution is so the umpires get together the crew chief and the umpire that made the call they get together they go on the the phone and they talk to new york who makes a call what i think needs to happen because there needs to be a switch instead of these umpires getting on and and saying hey uh we're going to review the call on the field was safe uh can you guys review this and let us know what you think we, that needs to change here's what needs to happen they need to go to review the person or whoever's watching that specific game that's in charge of this at in New York should not know the call on the field. 
So they don't have in their head, okay, it was called safe. Okay, it was an out. My fallback option will be to just stick with that call. If it's not 100% definitive, I'm just gonna stick with them. I'm tired of that. So what I think should happen is they shouldn't know the call on the field and the video that they get in New York should cut off right before you see the umpire safe or out. So literally just the exact play and then the feed stops so they can't see the umpire's call. I honestly, I, I don't have, you know, I, I don't know the best way to handle it. I know this would be better because it seems like far too often we're just getting, uh, yeah, we're just going to stick with that one. Just, just stick with being safe. And then it comes out, everybody in the world is pissed off at the call last night. Mike Trout said, wow, that's bad. Players are, are tuning in and, and tweeting about it. Everybody in the world knew. So how do we not get that call right? And how do we let that game in like that? I'm tired of that. I'm way too tired of seeing that happen in baseball. The same thing's happening in the NFL. If I had a football podcast, I'd say the exact same thing on football because replay needs to be fixed. I love replay in itself. It needs to be fixed the way they go about it. Whew. Replay, man. Gets me all fired up. Um, also in that game last night, however, was one of the most exciting players in all of baseball. My six-tool player of the week is Ronald Acuna. Now, coming into this, you know, I, I kind of started this six-tool player thing. It's, it's a player that embodies the show, having fun, flipping bats, doing all of those things. Ronald Acuna embodies that. That is Ronald Acuna. Now, I, I knew throughout the year I would have a, probably a few times of him being awarded my six-tool player of the week. I didn't know it would happen this quickly, but it, he kind of left me no choice, to be honest. Early on in the week, he hits an absolute bomb to center field and just sits there and admires it, and I love that. If I'm in my backyard playing wiffle ball and I absolutely crush a ball, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stand there and admire it, just like everybody else is doing. Who cares if that's what he's doing? He's not showing anybody up. He sat there, he watched it go 500 feet, and then he trots around the bases with his chain popping out. It was sick. And then Sunday night. Sunday night happened. Actually, a few things I want to talk about here from Sunday night, starting with the first at bat of the game. A hard ground ball to shortstop. Hard ground ball. Not, not even just a routine. It gets to the shortstop quickly. He beats it out. He beats it out to first base. So not only is this guy... Super fun to watch and really exciting and electric in all facets of the game. But he also is playing the game right. He's playing the game hard. So for everybody that says, yeah, you know, he, he just showboats and, and doesn't hustle, wrong. He had no business beating that out. Um, and then later in the game, he hits a bomb. And what does he proceed to do? The first 360 bat flip I've ever seen. I don't know if it's ever happened. He hits a bomb, he grabs his bat, he does a little twirl, he throws it, he pumps up the bench. That is what the six-tool player embodies. That is why this week's six-tool player is Ronald Acuna, and I foresee him being the six-tool player quite a few times throughout the year. Man, one of my favorite players in all of the game. I'm so pumped that he is so young and that we get to watch him for so long. This week's six-tool player, Ronald Acuna. Well, I just wanted to thank this week's guest, Royce Lewis, for joining me. I wanted to thank all of you for getting your voicemails in. Uh, keep doing that, please, as the year gets going. Uh, please keep calling that number and getting in your hot takes, your questions, all of that stuff. Thank you guys for joining me. And again, thank you to Royce Lewis for this week's episode of Flippin' Bats. I'm out. See you guys. So
blowout, eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out a real finish. He swings, and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone, home run, and a huge backflip to celebrate.